Hello and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I want to start this week by talking about Walter Schaub, who quit his job Thursday. Schaub is, until his resignation takes effect on July 19th, the head of the Office of Government Ethics. Now, the OGE isn't an enforcement agency. It can't bring charges against anyone. It's an advisory agency. It helps people in the White House and throughout federal agencies ensure they're operating with appropriate ethical standards. And Walter Schaub is a guy who takes his job seriously. During the transition, he urged Trump to divest himself from his holdings. And let's be clear, we're talking about the basic minimum Trump should have done. He owns buildings and does deals all over the world, has hotels and apartment buildings. Think about all the different ways he could be ethically compromised. It's not just foreign countries buying up his apartments or holding expensive events at his hotels. Virtually every decision he makes could have an impact on his business. Labor laws, environmental regulations, tax reform, health care, it all affects his bottom line. And not only did he not divest himself of his business, but he handed it over to his own sons. Now, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, just for the sake of argument, and say he does, in fact, not talk to his sons about the business. I'm not saying I think that's true. I'm saying let's assume it's true. He still knows what that business is. He still knows what he owns and how the business works. There is no way he can do his job as president and not think about the business he has spent the last four decades building. In other words, Schaub's job was already impossible. There was no way this president, once he made the decision not to divest, could ever have led any kind of ethical administration. And we've seen the result. He doubled the initiation fee at Mar-a-Lago, then spent nearly every weekend of the winter promoting it by visiting. He spends most weekends at one Trump property or another. He hosted his first 2020 campaign fundraiser at his own hotel, meaning he pockets a good amount of the money. And it's not just about lining his own pockets. I'm sure you know Trump has been in a vicious fight with the media lately. Last week, it was MSNBC and Morning Joe. This week, it's CNN. And it all started with Trump tweeting a video of himself at a wrestling match, smacking up Vince McMahon, only there was a CNN logo superimposed over McMahon's head. It was a dumb little meme made by a guy who also created an image of all the Jewish people at CNN with stars of David next to them. You know, Trump's base. So now there's this ongoing feud between CNN, which employs some of Trump's fiercest defenders, by the way, and Donald Trump. And there was an article in the New York Times about CNN chief Jeff Zucker, who in the past has been a close friend of Trump, selling him as a kind of resistance leader. It was ridiculous, of course, but it included this passage. White House advisors have discussed a potential point of leverage over their adversary, a senior administration official said, a pending merger between CNN's parent company, Time Warner, and AT&T. Mr. Trump's Justice Department will decide whether to approve the merger, and while analysts say there is little to stop the deal from moving forward, the president's animus towards CNN remains a wild card. Now, I couldn't care less about what happens to this merger. One mega corporation wants to buy another and probably fire a bunch of people. It sounds terrible. But that said, the White House is thinking about using that merger as potential leverage against a media company to, what, elicit more favorable coverage from its journalists? 
that would be an extraordinary misuse of power, a direct attack on the freedom of the press, not to mention basic decency. That's about as unethical as it gets. Can you blame the head of the Office of Government Ethics for resigning? Thanks to the July 4th holiday, this episode will be a little bit shorter than usual, and you may also hear some ambient noise. I'm out on my porch recording it this week. But it's still important to cover the news. It is the 24th week of Trump's presidency, and this is the 24th episode of the Trump Scorecard. Every week, I'm here trying to make this nightmare make a little more sense, as much as that's possible. I wrote a piece for Rolling Stone this week for the holiday about how to remain patriotic about a country that elected this guy president, because he won on a campaign of fear and hate. He was clearly and woefully unprepared. He never should have gotten anywhere close to the White House. And that's a reality we have to deal with every day. But I still believe in being patriotic. I believe America is capable of genuine progress. And right now, that patriotism means resistance. And this podcast is part of my contribution to that. It's a small part. But I hope it's a meaningful one to you. And if it is, if you listen every week or most weeks, I hope you can help me keep the podcast going. Remember, this is a one-man operation. I do all the writing, all the recording, the editing, everything. So, I need your support. Go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the Trump scorecard and pledge your support today. Thanks so much. June just ended, and it's official. Donald Trump did not recognize LGBT Pride Month. Now, I'm just another cishet white guy, so I'm not going to speak for other communities about how offensive it is not to be recognized by Trump. But I will say it was a deliberate decision by the White House not to put out a simple statement. It's 2017, and not recognizing pride is a thumb in the eye of the LGBT community. That's the only way to interpret it. And you'll remember, Trump claimed to be a sort of champion of gay rights, at least as far as Republicans go. Here's what he said at the GOP convention last year. As your president, I will do everything in my power to protect our LGBTQ citizens from the violence and oppression of a hateful foreign ideology. Believe me. Wait a second. Let's listen to that last bit again. Of a hateful foreign ideology. Oh man, even when he's pretending to be nice to LGBT people, he's really only using them as an excuse to bash Muslims. He isn't going to protect the LGBT community. He appointed a Supreme Court justice who's more likely to think a major corporation deserves human rights than a gay person does. And yeah, maybe it's just a proclamation he decided not to sign. But like I said, it was a deliberate decision. And unlike what he said at the convention, or that weird time he held up a rainbow flag with LGBTs for Trump scrawled on it in serial killer handwriting, not signing a Pride Month declaration shows what he really thinks of the LGBT community. He doesn't give a shit. 
Every day, Donald Trump makes America an uglier place to live. But by the end of his four or, God forbid, eight years in office, America will literally be an uglier place to live. The New York Times had an important story this week about how Scott Pruitt has been an extraordinarily effective deregulator since becoming head of the Environmental Protection Agency. He's rolled back or delayed or started the process of blocking 30 environmental regulations set by the Obama administration. Here are a few of the things that will be easier because Scott Pruitt is running the EPA. Dumping pollution in rivers, leaking methane into the atmosphere, ignoring potential dangers at chemical plants, using a pesticide that damages children's nervous systems, and finally, warming yourself. That one only applies to the global climate. That's just a fraction of what Pruitt is up to. And why is he undoing all these regulations? Because he's not listening to the EPA staff, the experts in their fields who do the work they do because they genuinely care about protecting the environment. Instead, he's listening to lobbyists for the industries he's supposed to be regulating. Got a decision about safety at chemical plants? Let's ask this lobbyist for Dow Chemical what she thinks. I talk about it all the time, but Trump said he would drain the swamp. He was going to clean up Washington, make it work for the people again. It was such a tremendous lie. And if the people who voted for him really cared about this stuff, if they cared about corruption and corporate power and the elites, they'd be rioting in the streets over this. The EPA has been handed over to corporate lobbyists. Your air, your water are going to be dirtier. Even if you don't believe in global warming, don't you care about pollutants in your water? Don't you care about your kids ingesting pesticides that can break their brains? Don't you care about chemical plants in your town exploding? Scott Pruitt doesn't care. And America is going to be so much worse off for it. By the time you listen to this, President Trump will have had his first one-on-one -on -one meeting with Vladimir Putin. I can't predict what will happen during that meeting, although of course I have lots of ideas. I talked on last week's episode about a report that the White House was looking for things it could give to Putin, like two compounds in the US Russia had used for intelligence gathering. Obama stripped Russia of the compounds in retaliation for its interference in the 2016 election. And Trump? Well, this week, he said this. Will you once and for all, yes or no, definitively say that Russia interfered in the 2016 election? Well, I think it was Russia, and I think it could have been other people in other countries. Uh, could have been a lot of people interfered. I said it very, I said it very simply. I think it could very well have been Russia, but I think it could well have been other countries. And I won't be specific, but uh... he still won't say Russia was responsible for hacking the DNC and John Podesta's email. So the guy who campaigned on being the world's toughest dealmaker is going into this meeting giving up his biggest point of leverage. Who knows? Maybe by the time you listen to this, Putin will have agreed to pull out of Ukraine, tell Bashar al-Assad to step down, and never interfere in U.S. elections ever again. But I'm not holding my breath. Whatever happens in this meeting, or as much as we find out about it anyway, I'll talk about it on next week's podcast. But for this week, I want to talk about the speech Trump gave Thursday in Poland. Specifically, I want to highlight this clip. Just as Poland could not be broken, I declare today for the world to hear that the West will never, ever be broken. 
Our values will prevail. Our people will thrive. And our civilization will triumph. It is tremendously important to understand what Trump is saying here because it's a return to what I think were the darkest instincts of the Trump campaign. This appeal to Western values is straight out of white nationalist propaganda. It's not about right versus wrong. It's about us versus them. It's a message for the anti-immigrant, authoritarian, far-right movements that have been gaining power in Europe and the U.S. And that message is, I am one of you. The speech, of course, was written by escaped bridge troll Stephen Miller. He used to work for Jeff Sessions and is basically the most unpleasant human being in a White House that employs Steve Bannon and Omarosa. He's a racist, obviously, and he's using his influence over the President of the United States to spread an ugly vision where white people are the good guys and brown people are the bad guys. And I don't bring up Miller to absolve Trump of responsibility. No matter what you think of Trump, he does have at least a general understanding of what words mean. So when he goes to Europe and speaks of protecting Western values in our borders, he knows what he's saying and who he's saying it to. And this is his vision, one where white people are ascendant and victorious over minorities. I talked about how Trump voters aren't rioting in the streets even though he's doing the opposite of draining the swamp. This is why. Because they don't really care about corporate power. They don't care about corruption. They don't care about the elites or special interests. This is what they care about, protecting our privileged status as white people. That's why 53% of white women voted against the first woman president for a guy who said he would grab them by the pussy. Because white supremacy is real. And in this speech, Trump embraced it. And that is a horror we are going to have to reckon with for years to come. I want to end with one last note about Trump's trip to Europe. He's there, of course, for the G20 summit. And planning presidential travel for an event like that is obviously an incredible logistical feat. You have to plan months in advance, consider how you're going to move from place to place, coordinate with local authorities, and, of course, book a place for the president to stay. But the Trump White House forgot that last crucial step. And by the time they tried to book a hotel, other delegations had already taken all of them. And unfortunately, there are no Trump hotels in Hamburg. They found a house for him to stay at. That's it for another week with the underside of a rotten cabbage as our president. Don't forget, you can help me make this podcast every week by going to patreon.com slash the Trump scorecard. It makes my heart go pitter-patter when you pledge. It really does. Also, send me an email sometime. Tell me what you think about the podcast. I'd especially love to hear ideas for the official one-half-year episode that's coming in just two weeks. Any thoughts about good ways to wrap up the last six months? Let me know. The Trump Scorecard at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Jesse Burney and find the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Trump Scorecard. Don't forget, there's a link to every story I've talked about today on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. 
our LGBTQ citizens. The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal.